very good morning to you once again. We will be studying the book of Exodus, chapter 24, that was read to us uh, earlier. So you can keep the book, the Bible, open to that page. That would be great. Uh, for those of you who have just joined us, uh, we have been doing the book of Exodus for a while now. I do remember that the book of Exodus does not begin with Exodus. Uh, it begins with the first book of the Bible, uh, Genesis. Uh, it's for those of us who like watching Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or Born Identity. You must watch part one before you watch part two, isn't it? So it's a bit like reading Exodus. If you want to understand Exodus, go back all the beginning, all the way to the beginning, Genesis 1, where it is created. That's where Israel's story started. Okay? So there you go. You have a, you have a Christmas break coming up. A great time for you to catch up with Genesis. Okay? But for now, we'll dive into Exodus 24. So let me pray to ask God for His help. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a gracious and a merciful God. You are a God who, who reveals yourself to us. So Father, we pray that as we gather around your word this morning, would you please help us to listen to your word carefully and humbly? May your word be our rule, may your spirit be our teacher, and may your glory be our supreme concern for the sake of your Son, our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's an outline for you, for those of you who want to take notes. Well, relationships. What kind of relationships do you have with her, or what kind of relationship do you have with him? This is a kind of fairly common question that we ask of people and people ask of us. And there can be a variety of answers. Well, we are acquainted. We are friends. We are Facebook friends. We are just friends. We are dating. We are married. Our relationship is intimate. It is platonic. It is political. It is cordial. It is broken. It is sour. It is cozy. There is a wide spectrum in the way we rate and describe our relationships that we share with the people around us. In the same way, each of us rates and describes our relationship with God in a variety of ways. God and I are like buddies. I'm his sidekick. God is my bestest friend, my confidant. We are close, like father and son. God and I are a bit like business partners. When time comes, I meet him, and other times we give each other space. But seriously, think about it. Everyone in this room has a relationship with God. Christians, the question for you this morning is, what kind of relationship do you think God has established with you in Christ? How would you describe that relationship? What would you equate it with? Just friends, dating, married, cozy? What kind of relationship do you think God has established with you in Christ? Exodus 24, which we'll be studying today, is all about the establishment of a relationship, relationship between God and Israel. The chapter will give us an insight into God and the kind of relationship 
that he establishes with his people. Christians are those who have become God's people through faith in Christ. God has established a relationship with Christians through Christ. But what kind of relationship is that? Exodus is going to give us a hint. Let me begin by giving you a quick recap of where we are at in Exodus 24. Chapter 24 that we are studying today is part of a larger section that actually started two weeks ago in chapter 19. Chapter 19 and chapter 24 are like bookends. In chapter 19, God revealed himself at Mount Sinai. He declared the covenant to his people. This is followed by chapter 20 to 23, where God declared to them the Ten Commandments and the Book of the Covenant. And now in chapter 24, what God is doing is, is establishing that covenant that he already started and has already declared. Andrew Reid helpfully painted the context of chapter 24 in this way. He says, chapter 1 to 15 of Exodus is God rescuing his people. Chapter 15 to chapter 18, God wooed his people in the wilderness before setting them the boundaries of the relationship and how they are to conduct in that relationship. In 19 to 23, he states that. If you follow that imagery of wooing, then chapter 24 would be like a wedding ceremony where the relationship is publicly sealed between God and his people. So chapter 19 to 24, when seen together, they describe God's formalizing the relationship with his people. 24 is like the climax, the wedding, just like yesterday's wedding of Marian and Daniel. So the first thing to notice about the relationship between God and Israel is this. Point one, there is a distance and a separation between God and Israel. We see this in verse one. Take a look. Verse one, Then God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, but the people and the people shall not come with him. Notice that after declaring the covenant, God now invites Moses in his next ascent up to the mountain to bring silver along with him. And that includes Aaron and his two sons and the 70 elders. But notice there's a separation between Moses and the others. There are layers or zones that God has actually prescribed. First, you have the outer area at the foot of the mountain where the common people are gathered. Second, you have the middle area somewhere up the mountain. You have Israel's priestly and the ruling elders. Thirdly, you have the top, where only Moses, the appointed mediator, can be there. Such separation, such zones, and such distance reminds Israel, as well as reminds us, the transcendent nature of God. That is, God is God. God is not man. God is creator, man is creature. God is eternal and perfect and pure and holy. Man is fallen and sinful. 
God is distinct. He is separate from His creature and from His creation. That is, for God to be God, there must be separation between Him and man. Otherwise, He'll just be one of us. So naturally, because of such separation, approaching God is something that not any man can simply achieve on his own. Here in 24, God makes it very clear to the people that this special privilege is strictly by invitation only. The hill climb is not open to all, for all. It is a trip. It is not a trip for anyone who might just want to tag along. No, it is only for those who are specifically invited that can go. So friends, think about it. Is this your understanding of God? Your perception of who God is? One who is holy and separated from man. Basically, the question is, how God is your God? How God is your God? Is he someone that you can simply approach anytime, anyhow? That is not the God that we see in the Bible. He is a holy, separate God. And he needs to be. And I think there's a good reason why this chapter makes it an important point for us to note that he is separate from us, that we may understand the rest of the chapters. So let's take a look. The second thing about the relationship between God and Israel is that it is firmly established. In other words, it is sealed, completely sealed. Let me show you how I get this from verse 3. Take a look at verse 3. As I read from verse 3 to verse 8, try to visualize the whole scene. Verse 3, Moses came and told the people, all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. What's happening here? Moses is now back at the bottom of the mountain. And the first thing that he did, he relayed all of Lord's words and the laws to all the people spelling out very clearly to them, making sure that they know what they're getting themselves into. Moses even wrote it all down in writing so that the people cannot claim ignorance later. So just as they have done previously, the people say, yes, we will do, which is good. And then verse 4, take a look. Moses rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, try to visualize the scene. There is a profound non-verbal imagery that is presented here. On one side, you have an altar. And that symbolizes Yahweh. That is, God himself is present at the ceremony. On the other side, you have the 12 pillars. And that represents the 12 tribes of Israel. Can you see? We have a picture here of the presence of two parties standing, facing each other. And Israel had just heard the terms of the covenant that has been proclaimed to them. And then, what happens next? Verse 5. And Moses sent two young men 
of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half of the blood he threw it against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they say, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. What is going on here? So much splashing of blood. What does that, all that mean? Well, firstly, the ritual played the role of ratifying, of confirming, of establishing and sealing. Sealing the covenant between God and Israel. The ritual is an act to the book end that started in chapter 19, where God revealed himself and declared a covenant. Now he seals that covenant. Secondly, blood was splashed on both of the parties, you can notice. That implies this covenant involved obligations between the two parties. Thirdly, life has been shared to initiate this, this covenant. This shared blood inextricably bound the two parties together. The blood ritual underlined that the covenant was a matter of life and death. In the ancient world, covenants were often sealed with blood. The splattered blood symbolized the death of covenant makers should they become covenant breakers. For Israel, it's now exclusively belong to Yahweh and Yahweh alone. They are bound together in solidarity. They belong to each other. The blood of the covenant carries the threat of divine judgment for everyone who breaks it. With that, can you imagine, can you begin to imagine and see now the depth and the seriousness of the relationship that God was establishing with Israel? God wasn't just dating for fun, just play play, looking for a one-night stand. No, he wasn't. God was darn serious about the relationship that he's going to start with Israel. Very, very serious about her. Friends, do you see that God is very different from us when it comes to wooing someone and starting a relationship? God went all out to bear Israel on eagle's wings and brought her to himself. A few weeks ago, we heard God say to Israel, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. He really meant it. Treasured possessions. He's not a boyfriend who simply uses a word and doesn't mean it, which we are used to. Basically, in Exodus 24, God married himself to Israel. He ratified, he established, he sealed, and he confirmed his covenantal relationship with Israel. Friends, this is a very, very crucial point to understand. For only if you understand this point will you understand the rest of Exodus, especially Exodus 32, the golden calf event. In fact, 
Only if you understand this point will you understand the rest of the Old Testament, especially the prophets. Why is God so angry? In fact, only if you understand this point will you understand the rest of the Bible. Why is it necessary? So in a nutshell, in Exodus 24, God married himself to Israel. That's the point. Married. He treated her seriously as he meant it. His treasured possession. Let's think about relationship with God for a while now, since we are talking about relationship. If you are Christian here today, that many of us are, including myself, do you know what kind of relationship God has established with you in Christ? Is it dating? In, one, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Paul said to the Christians, let me say, read to you. Paul said, I feel a divine jealousy for you, talking to the Christians, for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Church, people of God, we are married to Christ, our God, our Savior, our King. The same God we just saw in Exodus who took his relationship with Israel seriously is the same God who is taking his relationship seriously with his church and he's taking it down seriously. Brothers and sisters, only if we grasp this will we be able to understand what an adulterous act we are committing when we have idols in our hearts. Christians, remember today, we are married. We are married. Married to Christ. And we are exclusively His. And we are married at a very high cost. Why do I say that? For while the blood of the covenant that was sprinkled in Exodus 24 highlights the seriousness of the covenant, bringing judgment upon the covenant makers, the blood was also a sign of God's mercy. It not only showed the people what would happen if they failed, it also showed them how God will overcome their failure. Through the shedding of blood, their transgressions will be forgiven. Through the shedding of blood, their sins will be atoned for. The New Testament reading from Hebrews 9 tells us that this is true. The point is the blood of the covenant signifies the cleansing that is necessary to ensure forgiveness of sins. You see, for Israel's representative to go up to the mountain to experience a close-up relationship with God, the covenant had to be sealed in blood. The blood had to be sprinkled on the people. Only then they could make their way up to the mountain. Only then could they enjoy this meeting with God, despite the distance and the separation between the holy God and the sinful man. We got that point pretty clear, isn't it? Now, in the New Testament, 
Christians are those who have been sprinkled as well. Sprinkled not by the blood of the oxen in Exodus 24 that we just saw, but sprinkled by the precious blood of Christ himself, the perfect sacrificial lamb. Hebrews 10.22 says this, Let us draw near with a true heart, with full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, past tense, sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience. Christians, our hearts, your heart, my hearts, are hearts that have been sprinkled. Our hearts have been cleansed from a guilty conscience. And this sprinkling is done by a once and for all act of Jesus Christ on the cross. Christ's death and the shedding of his blood on the cross sprinkle our hearts clean. So now, brothers and sisters, let me ask you, did you know that? Did you know that your hearts have been sprinkled clean? Did you know that you are okay with God? Truly okay with God? Being a Christian means being fully liberated from any sense of guilt before God. Any sense of guilt at all. Not because we are somehow good, but because of Christ's blood. We are God's people. We are called to be united with Christ. God is at work in our spirit, molding us to be more and more like Christ. Along the journey, yes, we do indeed sin. But when that happens, our hearts do not get unsprinkled. We do not need another dose of Christ's blood to be okay with God again. That has been taken care of once and for all on that cross. So what is your relationship with God now in Christ? We are truly okay with God. And because our guilt has been truly taken care of, the guilt we feel, that we really feel, when we sin, can be properly handled. When we sin, Hebrews 10 says, we can approach God. Draw near to Him with repentance, soak with confidence, and not with fear of backlash. God's relationship with His redeemed people is not like police and thief, or tiger mom and child, or loan sharks and debtors. No, we can draw near to God now, in Christ, with a true heart, with a full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from our evil conscience. We who were once far off has been brought near by Christ. The third thing about the relationship between God and Israel is this. They shared a very intimate relationship. Very, very intimate relationship. Verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven of clearness, for clearness. 
and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Having sealed the covenant with blood, Israel representatives are now making their way up the mountain. And on the mountain, verse 10, they saw God. Verse 11, they ate and they drank with God. For absolutely majority of the people, not just in Malaysia but in the world, including some of us, there is nothing incredible about the incident. Right? They beheld God, they ate and drank with Him. There is nothing particularly awesome about that. Right? Well, they are wrong. And we are wrong, if we think as such. Very wrong. For when sinners are brought into the very presence of the living God to be sitting down on the same table, eating with Him, having a meal of friendship and fellowship, it is grand. It is awesome. It is unbelievable. It is out of this world. Israel's relationship with God has been so established to be so close with God that they are eating and drinking in His presence, enjoying His fellowship just like in the garden. Israel and God shared a very intimate, a very close relationship. But sadly, such an unbelievable intimacy did not last for long, as we shall see in the weeks to come. Very soon, it was shattered by idolatry and a breach of covenant by God's people, with some of the ringleaders, the very same people who saw God and ate with Him. This is why the prophets that comes later look forward to a day when God and man would sit down again in fellowship. Isaiah 25, let me read to you. Isaiah 25 says, verse 6, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meat and the finest wines. On this mountain he will destroy, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. Notice that this meal that Isaiah talks about in the future is a meal that is not just for Israel. It is for people of all nations. And there will be no more death. A meal that surpasses the meal that Moses had in Exodus 24. Christians, this meal with God that Isaiah talks about is what awaits you and me and everyone else who is in Christ. Revelation 19 speaks of that. It speaks of the marriage supper. The bridegroom is Jesus Christ who has made the marriage possible by his, sacrifice, by his sacrificial death on the cross. And the bride is all who believe in him, his church. So what kind of relationship does Christians share with God? Jesus has brought Christians into a very intimate 
relationship with God. Very, very intimate relationship. The rest of the chapter, verse 12 to verse 18, I will not cover today. Basically, that is a transition from the covenant section of the book, which we have been studying, to the next section, where the focus is on God and Him being present, continually being present with Israel through the tabernacle. And we'll be looking at that next week. Now, let me close by leaving you with a question that we started off with. Christians, what kind of relationship do you think God has established with you in Christ? A dating relationship? Marriage. How would you describe that relationship? Just friends? Dating? Cozy? Today we have seen that Christians, we are married. Married to Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Your word that is sharp. Your word that corrects our perception of who you are and how we view what you have done for us in Christ. Thank you for that loving and kind reminder. The great truth that as Christians, by grace through faith in Christ, we are those who have been married to you. We are your treasured possession. And as a church father, we come before you this morning to thank you for this immense privilege that we have, that we do not know what we have done, and in fact, nothing that we have done that deserves such great love for us. So please, Father, open each and every one of our eyes to see your great love, your great commitment to your church that you have displayed on the cross that surpasses any other love that we have experienced and would ever experience. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. What an amazing truth to be reminded of, and as we reflect on it, we truly appreciate that we are reconciled to God because of the precious blood of Jesus. Let us ascend and sing our next song, Jesus, thank you. <laughs>